Another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Caspar McLeod, and joining me, very, very, very special for the first time this year, we have multiple co hosts on an episode. It's not two, it's three. Liam and Patty, welcome, gents. It's a pleasure to have you guys on. Good to be here. Thanks, Caspar. Good to be here. I am so excited to get into this weekend. It's been a massive week for AFL in terms of scheduling, coaching, succession plans, and of course, big results. But before we go through that, we need to discuss in case people who are listening are new to the podcast, basically the way it's structured is that there are three sections. Section one, we'll each give our top two highlights and top two lowlights of round 16. Section two, We'll talk about the four major talking points that come out of the last few days of footy. And then section three, we will preview round 17, who's going to win by how much and why, who we think is going to uh, be the biggest winner to the margin in round 17 and uh, which game we're most looking forward to watching as well. But first, let's get on to the first section, our top two lowlights and highlights. We start off with the highlights. Patty, I'll let you go with this one first. What were your top two highlights of round 16? Well, I won't exactly say it was a great round for me as a Richmond supporter, but I'll try my level best for you, Casper. Um, well, look, Silk 400, you know, there's, we've talked about that forever, really, about the possibility of it happening over COVID last year, people thought that Sean Burgo wasn't going to get there, but thank goodness for the medical sub rule. So he's managed to limp his way to his 400th game. I thought that whole process was done really well. Um, Hawthorne did make a little attempt at a comeback and probably showed everyone why people aren't hugely high on port winning the flag this year. Weren't able to lock that game down. Um, but yeah, the whole process was fantastic. Great to see all, all the 400 gamers get down for it. Um, it's becoming quite the club now, isn't it? Uh, the 400 game club. And the other one really, uh, Patrick Dangerfield and Darcy Parrish on Friday night, going head to head, just dominant performances. Parrish has come from the absolute clouds to be one of the best midfielders in the competition for Essendon. Not enough to beat the Cats though at GMHBA, but really like that midfield duel, Casper. Super exciting watching that. Um, and to be honest with you, during that awful second quarter, that was the one thing that I enjoyed watching during that second quarter was how well Darcy Parrish was playing. Liam, how about you? So, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of the highlights, you know, already brought up by Patty, the Silk 400 was brilliant. Um, but if, And also, you know, watching uh, Darcy Parrish, you know, he's a great player this year. Um, but for me, it's more so two teams who um, I didn't expect to well, one I didn't expect to win at all and one I didn't expect to win by the margin they won by. Um, for me, it was my two highlights were Gold Coast's impressive win over Richmond with, uh, you know, starring Tuke Miller, who's been in impressive form to say the least this year. Um, and then the Sydney win over the Eagles, which was just, to be honest, um, well, unbelievable. I mean, 92 points, wasn't it, I think? Like, I don't think anybody was expecting quite that kind of margin even though the eagles are bad on the road 
Um, that was something that I didn't see coming for sure. So those are my two highlights for the week. Uh, I'm going to sound like a copycat. So I'm going to change my, my original two answers were also Gold Coast and Sydney, but instead I'll mention uh, Greater Western Sydney mm. as my number one highlight, a team that has performed horribly in Melbourne for years and years, especially at the MCG. Just can't trust them in Melbourne. I remember MVD saying last week, something along the lines of he wouldn't tip the Giants in Melbourne because they can't play well in Melbourne. And what do you know? They beat the ladder-leading Demons. Fantastic win for GWS. The Bombers couldn't take advantage of Richmond slipping out of the eight on Thursday night. The Dockers couldn't take advantage, but the Giants could. So now they're in the box seat. They control their own destiny now, GWS. So full kudos to Leon Cameron. Great recovery after starting the season zero and three. And uh, the second highlight for me, I think, yeah, do you know what? I'll mention the Sydney Swans. Why not? 92 points. They kept the Eagles scoreless in the second quarter and goalless in the last quarter. Incredible. They kept the West Coast Eagles to their lowest score, I believe, since 1992. Like, that is insane. Yeah, mental. And fantastic. Like, the only way it could have been better had Buddy Franklin been just a little bit more accurate. 3-3. Three, three. Mm. But, I mean, that's a, that's a little nitpick. Just absolutely incredible. And I loved how many people showed up for this game. I thought it was great. The fact that this game got a bigger crowd than the Gold Coast-Richmond game mm. Mm. was kind of interesting. But that, for me, is, uh, is, was a great, great, great Sunday afternoon game to watch. Just loved every single minute of it. Um, on to top two lowlights. Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. Yeah, well, we kind of already discussed, um, well, we've gone over the Sydney and uh, West Coast game um, and it's hard to avoid it um, because West Coast are my first low light of the weekend because their struggle on the road continues. Um, you know, no, no one's saying that, you know, losing to Sydney is anything bad. Sydney have been a very good team this year. But to lose in the fashion that they did mm. um, at a neutral stadium as well, it wasn't like they were playing in Sydney either, was just really embarrassing, I think, for West Coast um, against a side, you know, similarly placed on the ladder as well. It's not like West Coast are sitting down in last playing first or something like that. They're playing a side who they should be competitive against. Um, so that's my first low light. And then my second one that I think will be one which was um, a bit different from you two's uh, selection probably because I'm going to go with the Saints last quarter in yeah, particular yeah. against Collingwood because, you know, St Kilda for three quarters watching that game were very good. Collingwood couldn't really touch the ball. They looked like, you know, they were, you know, second rate really to St Kilda. But then in the last quarter, St Kilda just turned off. It was like they were convinced, oh, you know, we're 49 points up, game's over. And Collingwood, you know, kudos to them. They at least kept going and they got within nine points. And I'll be lying if I said I didn't get a little bit excited at that point. Because I thought, well, we've got two minutes on the clock. Two goals is possible. Who knows? Um, so for me, St Kilda's last quarter, in the interest of probably something a bit more original, will be my second low light because they were just way off the pace uh, and almost cost themselves the win. Daddy? Yeah, well, I'll try and not rant on too long, but the Richmond loss to the Gold Coast Suns was very, very disappointing from a Richmond supporter watching that game. The Tigers have, I think, 
look look at every bit of the team that played till pretty much November last year and then didn't turn over much of their list in response. They look tired. They look lethargic. And a lot of the guys who took them to the grand final last year, the likes of Broad, Balter, Short, Bolton, Baker, those guys who stood up with injuries going on all around them, Jack Grant as well, looked quite poor against the Suns, which is concerning. They just look exhausted, Richmond, and their football is suffering. Um, and to be beaten... Well, Gold Coast only won by 10 points, but they had 10 more scoring shots. So they're lucky to get away with the two-goal loss, the Tigers. And I don't think their year gets much better. The second low lot I have, again, a bit of left field, but Melbourne have been really skating over the last month and a bit. Oh, since that real that, that victory against the Dogs, they, they beat the Lions as well. And they can do that. They can pull it out against those hard teams. But they are just going against the, the middling teams. And I think that the, they've only lost the sides when they've been out of the eight. The Giants using the win to jump into the eight. And Melbourne, they just need a bit of a rejig before we start getting to the serious stuff. Because they too look like they're just sliding a little bit as the season continues. Big Brent. Big Ben Brown, excuse me, set to come back in for Melbourne for Thursday night football. Um, their scoring prowess and granted, they hadn't been super strong this year. They're not. They're not. You know, it's not like they've been the Bulldogs constantly kicking over 100 points every single game. But still, their scoring has dried up tremendously over the last three or four games, Melbourne. So yeah, they're uh, in a little bit of a spot of bubble. For me, number one low light. We've discussed um, Silk. Fantastic career at both Hawthorne and Port Adelaide. I thought it was kind of nice the fact that he got to play his 400th game against against yeah, Port. Yeah, um, And I thought both clubs handled it very well. Fantastic player, um, Burgoyne, and, and congrats to him. Um, but Hawthorne's first half was just awful, just absolutely awful. Reading some stats here from Fox Sports, uh, they conceded eight goals in a row after kicking the opening goal, Hawthorne, trailed by 42 points at halftime, less than six, um, less than 60 disposals, less than Port Adelaide, minus 24 contested possessions, minus 19 marks, minus 18 inside 50s, and minus 10 clearances, center clearances. They were 8-0 in, uh, in favor of Port Adelaide. Apparently, according to this article, 13 inside 50s. Hawthorne had only 13 inside 50s across the first two quarters. Their lowest inside 50 count at half time since 2005. Back when Sean Burgoyne was a uh, recent premiership player with Port Adelaide. That's how long ago that was. And for me, when you have a superstar player, big, massive occasion, right? You know that if, if, if the restrictions on crowd size you know, weren't in place, you would easily get 40,000 people at that game, 45,000 people, if not 50,000 people. That's how well-loved Sean Burgoyne is. You'd think that they would put in a better effort for him than that. And yeah, sure, they came back a little bit, like you mentioned, Patty, but I mean, I mean, come on. That's a disappointing first half. Mm. Uh, not to harp on the Tigers, Patty, but that loss, Damian Hardwick saying it's the most important week of your season. Uh, and the Tigers then dish up that they 10 less scoring shots than the Gold Coast Suns, and yet they only lost by 10 points. 
or seven points, whatever it was. I think they were very lucky uh, oh, yeah. not to not to be out of the game by really by half time. Inaccurate start by the Suns very nearly cost them. But yeah, for me, those two teams have to be the lowlights. On to the major talking points to come out of the round. If I just uh, scroll through the text history between the three of us, here we go. Number one, we've talked about the Giants. They're now in eighth position. I want to ask you guys, are they now in the box seat for eighth, considering their fixture and considering the fixture of the teams just below them still pushing for that eighth spot? Uh, Liam, sure, I'll start with Liam. Liam, I'll let you start with this one. Well, uh, I'll give you my one-word answer and then I'll give my explanation. Uh, No, I don't think they are the favourite. They do have a tough run home. Three of their seven games are against top six opposition. Um, And there's some banana skin games against the likes of Richmond, Carlton and Essendon. I say banana skin because their teams are around them, not so much because they should be beating those three. I think they are competitive opponents. But I say that because... Those sorts of games against Richmond, Carlton and Essendon could rejig the order of the ladder. So that's why I'd say, you know, realistically, six of their remaining seven games are very losable. Let's just put it that way, um, in my opinion. They should be beating probably the likes of Carlton and Essendon, but they could quite easily lose those at the same time, I think. Um, So my favourite to make the eight, I still think, you know, three premierships in four years... Um, and with their final four games being very winnable for Richmond, I think they've got to be my favourite. Um, they also do have some tough games. I'm not denying that. And they have been out of form. But Richmond come good at the business end of the year. And like I said, I, looking at their fixture, their last four games, in my opinion, are, as long as they don't completely capitulate, 16 potential points, which would really boost their hopes. Um, and as long as they don't drop too many games against the likes of Collingwood, who they play this weekend, or you know, teams below, you know, four or five places below them on the ladder and more. I think Richmond should be able to make the eight. So that's my take on the whole who's getting eighth position. That's uh yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I will say just before just before you go, Patty, just on the Tigers, uh, I don't remember them in either uh, any of their premiership seasons recently or in 2018, them getting injuries and serious injuries now. Like, mm. they've, they've always gotten injuries early in the year, and then by the midway point, they get everyone back. They get a good run with injuries, um, and they hit some form. But now they're getting injuries in the latter, uh, later stages of the season, and this 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 is going to be a challenge that the Tigers are going to have to overcome, I think. Um, injuries to key players, especially Bacchahuli, him normally such a, a great user of the ball. Hope, you know, wish him all the best in his recovery and all that. Uh, Patty, how about uh, how about you? Do you reckon your tigers, reckon your tigers are uh, going to pinch eighth back from the Giants? So what do you think? Well, they don't look like it at the moment, but you're right, Liam. They the Giants do have a bit of a tougher run home, and we also have no idea when they'll actually go back to New South Wales um, with the lockdown being extended by a week. Um. This week, they've got to play Gold Coast in Ballarat, which is good luck, quite frankly, because Ballarat in the middle of winter, that's going to be frigid. (laughs) Um, So that's going to be a fairly grim game. And they've got the Swans. We don't know where that game will be played. 
They've also got a game against Richmond, which would be their home game that we don't know. Hopefully by round 22, we'll be back to regular fixturing, but we just can't say. I do. I will take Richmond over the Giants just for now because of their track record. But you are right, Casper. The injuries at this point of the year are grim. They're Balter, Broad and Hawley out for the rest of the season by the looks of it means that Richmond have to completely rejig their defence. We're seeing Shane Edwards go back there. Jack Ross, who was drafted as a midfielder, is getting a go as a halfback. And that won't be the last bit of the, the whiteboard magnet shuffling for the rest of the year. So it's up in the air. I think the the Giants and Tigers are probably your, your, number, your two top seeds for that eighth spot. But don't discount Essendon, who I think will close quickly. They look really good when they're allowed to play their style of footy. It's a hard game to win down in Geelong. And Geelong certainly looked the goods, but I would be keeping an eye on the Bobbers. Mm. Um, just on the Tigers, Liam, you mentioned that their last three or four games are very favourable, Richmond. But I would argue that their three games before those are massive banana banana peel games they've got collingwood they've got brisbane the only saving grace of that brisbane game is that it's at the mcg that's the only saving grace about that game and then they have geelong at the mcg so uh, if they go if they go zero and three from that it might be a hole that they can't dig themselves out of i'd like to think they'll get at least one win from that well i mean if you're a richmond supporter you'd have to expect your team to get at least one win out of those three. And I know who I'd be backing to pick which one you'd win based on ladder and form. But, hey, if I go to zero out of three, I'll be a happy man, put it that way. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to that game on Sunday afternoon, Sunday Twilight Football. Um, I promise it was by complete accident. I did not intend. It was not my intention when I asked you guys to do this podcast to, to get a tiger and a magpie on this, but... There you go. That's the way the cookie crumbled. Uh, as for me, I'm looking at the draw for the Giants, and it's tricky. Ballarat, they've never been, um, they've never played at Mars Stadium. They've played in Ballarat before. The Gold Coast Suns have. I'm not saying that puts the Suns at a significant advantage, but it does put them at a slight advantage. You know, they've played in these conditions before. They've played in the brutal Ballarat winter before. So they should be more acclimatized to that. The Swans-Giants game, wherever that will be played, that should be a good contest. Don't forget the Swans belted the Giants in Perth last year by seven goals. Just saying. Um, Essendon at Marvel Stadium. Bombers are hard to beat in Melbourne, especially at Marvel Stadium. Uh, Then they play Port, Geelong and Geelong. I mean, is anyone going to beat the Cats in Geelong this year? Probably not. Um, and then the Tigers in Sydney before finishing off with Carlton. I can see them winning their last two games as they're currently scheduled because the Tigers haven't beaten Sydney, I'm sorry, Greater Western Sydney in Sydney since 2014. Um, and they should beat Carlton. But aside from that, it's, it's a really difficult run home for GWS. Mm. Richmond should win their last three or four games. The Bombers have three really tricky games, the Giants, the Swans, and the Bulldogs, back-to-back-to-back, all at Marvel Stadium. If they can win two out of those three, then I'd say don't discount Essendon's finals chances just yet. 
but if they go one from two or zero from three from that stretch, then the bombing seasons will be done by the end of round 21. Mm. But it should be fascinating one way or the other. Uh, we've talked about Richmond and we've talked about their dogfight for finals football, but another team that might have to fight tooth and nail just to make finals football are the West Coast Eagles. And my question to you guys is this. Do the Eagles need to enter a rebuild? Patty, I'll let you start off with this one. Yeah, it's interesting. If if you look down their list profile, they're going to start next year, the over-30s list, including Gaff, Darling, Jamie Cripps, McGovern, Hutching, Shepard, Redden, Shuey, McNatt, Hearn and Kennedy. That's if Hearn and Kennedy go on for another year, they're both 33. So that's a that's a fair contingent of their list. Um, they're under 28-year-olds this year. Um, Yo, Kelly, Sheed, Rioli, Barras, Barras rather, right on the edge of it. Uh, and then the younger players coming through, it's relatively slim pickings. Like Josh Rotham's been pretty good, Tom Cole. Um, they've had Jake Waterman, but he's been the sub a lot. Oscar Allen, we know how good he is. Jared Brander. Luke Edwards was really good against Richmond, but then hasn't really performed since. So it's a little bit concerning, West Coast. They've probably got another year of those over 30s to probably produce at a high level before it starts to probably all fall down a little bit. So they just need to have a good draft. Uh, They've got one first rounder, two second round picks in this 2021 draft. They're going to have Willie Rioli back. You know, Luke Ryan and Liam Duggan are improving and they're still young. So it's just about good drafting, picking the right players. The concern I have is how much better they can realistically get with this list. I don't think it's advisable to blow it up now because you've still got two or three good years, I think, out of this team. It's just about getting that next layer of talent ready to go. You're not going to feasibly lose by 90 points every week. And the Swans played exceptionally well on a ground that suited them so, so well at down in Geelong. Basically the SCG light. So I am a little bit nervous about throwing the baby out of the bathwater with West Coast, but you can't deny that their list will be or is going to a place where it will be a, a bit of a bit of a liability with their age profile in the next two or three years. Liam? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of got the same opinion as Patty, and th- they are the third oldest list um, in the comp, uh, average age of 25, um, only behind uh, the Saints and Geelong, respectively. So, you know, no one's denying that they do have an older squad. <laughs> Um, and I think it does come down to her, how their trade period goes and how they draft um, in the new season. Because I think if they recruit well um, and if they let the, you know the right players go, they could probably manage without a complete rebuild. But if they recruit older players and don't pick the right draft picks, they could see themselves begin to keep falling further down. And before you know it, they'll probably be saying, okay, we need to assess our options here. Um, so... I don't think right now they're probably already thinking about the rebuild, but I think if things don't go well for them in the next 12 months, um, namely in the trade period, um, it could get a little bit worse for them. But, you know, let's not forget, they are still in sixth um, and they have had a bad injury year. Seventh. Seventh now, okay. (laughs) Um, And they have had a bad injury uh, year. 
So, you know, I, I think like I just said, you know, they need to just make sure they do well in the trade period, maybe let a few of the older players go who they think they can afford to. Um, and I think they'll be okay. But I think the trade period is going to be the big um, talking point in terms of where Essendon, uh, Essendon West Coast are at. <laughs> I was about to say, wait, 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 which, um, look, here's the thing, right? West Coast, they have not had a first round draft pick in Yonks. I think their earliest draft pick of the last three years was like pick 49, pick 48. And so they've traded, 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 traded to contest now, like Geelong. But where Geelong, uh, fighting for a top four spot and probably will finish top four. The Eagles, on the other hand, 97-point loss to the Cats in Geelong, 92-point loss to the Swans, a 55-point loss to the Dogs at home. The fact that there were no fans there is not an excuse. Not an excuse at all. When you consider the fact that the Dogs kicked in that game something like 13 goals, 20 behinds. Imagine the amount of pressure that the Eagles would have been under had the Dogs kicked 20 goals, 13 behinds. Like that could have been an absolute shellacking at home. You don't lose at home like that, especially when you have the feared home ground advantage that West Coast have, have built at that Optus Stadium. And I'm just looking at the injury list at the moment because you're right. They've have had a lot of injuries at points this time this year. Um, early in the year, they won three games in a row and everybody is talking about what a great effort it was, despite who they were playing due to the injury lists. Um, when they beat Carlton in Sydney, everybody was talking about how, 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 how impressive that was because of their injuries. But looking at their injury list now, the only players that are on it who I'd say should be easy walk-ins to their best 22, Andrew Gaff with late withdrawal against Sydney with a thumb issue, according to this uh, article on afl.com.au, and maybe Jermaine Jones with a foot problem, sprained ankle. There you go. That's it. So my question is now, there's all these players they've brought in, especially Kelly. I remember at the end of 2019 when they brought Kelly across, everybody's talking about this is going to be the key that takes them to their next premiership. My question is now with their old players, how long are they going to play for? Similar to you guys, how long does Kennedy have left? How long does Darling have left? How long does Hearn have left? Sheed. Etc. Etc. Nat Nui, how long can these guys keep playing for? I don't see enough young talent coming through the Eagles to say comfortably that when these current superstars retire, they'll you know their replacements, you know maybe not at their exact level, but will be close to them. I can't say that because there's nobody standing up. So for me, if it's not the end of this year, then it's the end of next year but they definitely have to go to a rebuild. They have to hit the draft. They cannot keep their sinking ship afloat by constantly just 
going to other clubs and poaching players. Okay. It rarely works. You bring up Kelly in that discussion point and, you know, he was a great pickup for them, but let's also give testament to Geelong for how well they've done without Kelly because he was so important for them that year and they've almost seamlessly replaced him and, you know, no one's really brought up, you know, how much of a struggle it's been because Geelong haven't struggled without Kelly. So mm. I think that's another thing worth mentioning that Geelong have really managed losing him very well and the Eagles who brought him in have gone downhill. So it's, you know, a funny old way that things work out. Precisely. So that's my answer. It's going to happen sooner, sooner or later. And if it happens sooner, then sure. If it happens at the end of this year, some of those old players or all those old players get retired or go elsewhere, Eagles get some draft picks in, then yeah, next year is going to be sucky and the year after that is going to be sucky. But with Adam Simpson as coach and with a plethora of young draft picks, which they should get for those old players, they could easily be contending again circa 2024-2025. Now, on to the, uh, the next talking point. St. Kilda and Carlton have come from nowhere the last couple of weeks to all of a sudden mathematically enter finals calculation once again. Everybody's been talking about the Giants and the Tigers and the Eagles and the Bombers and the Dockers. But I want to ask you guys, are St. Kilda and Carlton realistic finals chances considering how mediocre the teams above them and their records are? Liam, I'll let you start with this one. Well, obviously, you can't say that they're not at least a chance when, you know, St Kilda are within a game and Carlton are within two. So they're not obviously out of contention. Um, but I'll start with St Kilda. Um, for me, I can't see them making it, even though they're very close, because they're just not able to string enough games together their form's just far too inconsistent and like i brought up earlier that last quarter against collingwood was just mm. a sign of a team that doesn't look the complete package for me um so for me even though they're only two points out i can't see them like i said stringing enough wins together you can't you know probably go win loss win loss all the way till the end of the season and expect to make the eight unless you're very lucky um so i'm not and also you've got to take into uh into consideration that their percentage is awful. So if it came, obviously they've got that two-point buffer, but if somehow it did come down to percentage, they wouldn't win in that aspect probably. So that's unlikely to happen, of course, but that's another thing just to keep on the back burner as a thought. As for Carlton, um, they do have a fairly winnable set of games. I was talking to a Carlton friend of mine and he was making the argument of, well, you know, we're a sniff. And I was like, I can understand why, because um, they have Geelong this weekend who... They haven't been bad against in recent history. Obviously, they uh, beat them in, down in Geelong last year, which is massive. Um, you know, it, it's tough for Carlton because they're six points off, obviously. So they've got to, you know, string together quite a few results. Um, it, it's difficult because I think four of their remaining seven, they probably need to win. Um and that means they're going to have to beat someone in the top eight because I believe three of the teams they currently have to play are in the top six, I think. Um, 
and then they have the Giants, who are one of the other teams who are in the eight. So I think they've probably got to beat all the teams who are outside the eight, who they still have to play, and then probably at least one of the teams inside the eight. Um, most likely you'd say the Giants probably, unless they pull off a result against the likes of um, Geelong this weekend. So I don't think either of these two will make finals. Um, but if I was going to pick which one I'd back more so, I'd actually probably go Carlton personally. I remember that game down in Geelong, the Asava Radigalia game. I remember that one. It was an absolute thriller. Asava Radigalia, superstar player, great ruckman, great forward. But for some reason, I think it's Tom Hawkins having a set shot that 40 metres out straight in front, kicks the ball. It's going through for a goal. And for some reason, literally on the goal line, Asava Radigalia punches it back in. And Geelong lose by less than a goal. Why he did that? I do not know, but ended up not really costing Geelong considering they made the grand final last year. Uh, how about you, Patty? St. Kilda, Carlton, uh, how realistic are their final chances? Yeah, I don't think they're realistic. Uh, I think they're both teams which have overrated their list significantly. Whether that's been warranted or not, the Saints did make finals last year, but I think they've topped their list up too early. And you're sort of stuck with this hodgepodge of three or two club players mixed in with youth who aren't quite ready to, to step up to the next level. And Carlton are the same. They've been, it's a, it's a bizarre world when you've got Walsh, Wienering and Mackay, likely all, all going to be all Australian, playing good footy every week. But Carlton still lose more than they win. I don't think beating Frio at the MCG when the Dockers have had to uproot for a so-called home game is much of an indicator of Carlton's talent. I, I think if we're looking at the eighth spot, it's Richmond, GWS and Essendon, but probably in order. And I think the Saints and Blues should just focus on playing good brands of football in preparation for a, a more bountiful 2022. I think this year isn't, exactly over but they really should be thinking about where they want to go as a club instead of bradburying into eighth spot to probably get eliminated anyway so that's it. i don't think carlton the saints are realistic finals chances no i definitely don't think st kilda are considering how brutal their fixture still is they play brisbane it's a brisbane home game whether or not it'll be played in queensland we don't know um, but if it is played in Melbourne, Brisbane play Marvel Stadium pretty well. They do play Marvel Stadium pretty well, the Lions. MCG less so. But if it's in Melbourne, you wouldn't think that that would phase Brisbane so much. Mm. As for St. Kilda, that Collingwood game, I think, perfectly encapsulates for me why they won't be playing finals for four, despite their impressive win against Richmond and their great three quarters against Collingwood. It was like their win against North Melbourne earlier in the year, where like three quarter time up by seven or eight goals, you're thinking, okay, they're going to get a bit of percentage back, which they needed after losing to the Bombers by 75 points, the Tigers by 86 points and the Power by nine goals earlier in the year. They needed a bit of percentage back. Uh, actually, I think they lost to the Dogs the week before by 111 points. So they definitely need the percentage back. And you're thinking, okay, well, they get some percentage here against North Melbourne. And they ended up winning by only 20 points. 
You know, it was a hollow victory. And no offense, Liam, but Sunday was a hollow victory for St. Kilda because of the fact that they nearly, well, they did capitulate. They nearly let Collingwood snatch it. I remember you, Liam, we were texting me about three minutes to go saying, surely not. Surely they couldn't do this. And they very nearly did. Against a better team, against Brisbane, who they play, against Port Adelaide, who they play, they play Geelong and Geelong. Against a better team, a last quarter like that, they won't win many games, if any, of their remaining matches, St. Kilda. They play the Eagles, that game currently scheduled for WA. And despite West Coast's their problems, they do play better football in WA than they do outside of WA. And they play the Swans at Marvel Stadium. Sydney plays really well at Marvel Stadium. Like that's a you would think St. Kilda with their poor percentage and their average record would have to win every single one of their remaining matches. They just have to keep winning. And that's not going to be possible. Carlton, on the other hand, uh, they have a pretty good record against teams outside of finals football. They have three games against teams inside the top eight. They play Geelong, they play Port Adelaide, and they play GWS. I agree, Liam. They need to win at least one of those games before I can take them seriously as a finals threat. Because even if they lose, even if they, you know, win the rest of them, only lose those three games, that's only, I think, a 10-win season or an 11-win season. That's not going to get you anything. That's not going to get you in finals football. So realistic chance? No. Um, If I had to say which team has a higher chance of finishing in finals football... I agree I'm with Liam. I'm probably going to go with Carlton there. Now, the major news out of the weekend, I thought it was going to be Darcy Parrish signing on for a further two years, which made me so happy. But no, it ended up being Alistair Clarkson, 2022, set to be his last year at coaching Hawthorne. 2023 and onwards, Sam Mitchell will take over the hot seat at the Hawks. My question is to you guys, we've seen succession plans work and we've seen them fall apart. My question is, is the succession plan a good idea for Hawthorne or not? Why or why not? Patty, I'll let you start off with this one. I think they... I don't think they would have wanted to do a succession plan, but they've probably been given no choice. Sam Mitchell's already being sniffed around by Collingwood. I'm sure that there'll be other clubs interested in him as well. I can't imagine a world where, even if Carlton do sort of scrape out the rest of the year in about ninth, 10th, 11th, I can't imagine them sticking with Dave Teague for too much longer. His performance as coach hasn't really, you know, delivered Carlton that, Finals win. So you take it to context what's happening around the league. If you want to keep Sam Mitchell, the only way you're going to be able to keep him is as your senior coach when Clarkson's contract expires. So I think this is the right move because it locks Mitchell to Hawthorne and it makes very evident how long they're going to have Clarkson for, whether he coaches after Hawthorne and does go to Collingwood or Carlton. That remains to be seen. But I don't know if it's necessarily the right move, but the necessary one. This had to happen for Hawthorne to keep Sam Mitchell. So they've committed to it. So 
I'll withhold my judgment until Mitchell does coach. Um, depending on how Hawthorne go then, we'll know the answer to this question. Liam? Um, I'm a little bit torn on it. I think it, it, it's interesting timing. And I think it was probably, like Paddy said, a bit of a kind of um, a rush decision by Hawthorne in a sense because they didn't want to miss out on Mitchell. But at the same time, they probably weren't ready to let go of Clarkson. So they thought, how can we keep both of these guys in our plans? And they're like, well, why don't we do a succession plan? Because that way we get both of them, essentially. Um, so I think, you know, it was more so a way for them to keep a hold of uh, Mitchell for their future plans um, than it was so much a case of we actually see this as the best option. Um, with that being said, though, I can see it working out but I can also see reasons why it won't because Hawthorne are in the middle of a rebuild now or should be thinking about one, um, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, but obviously they're going to have to wait another 18 months before Mitchell is available. So, you know, how far is that going to set them back or is it going to give them time to set things up perfectly for him? Who knows? Um, but, on the plus side, obviously, it does give him time to assess the players at the club, see, you know, who he thinks can be key members of his team moving forward, etc. So I, I, I think it'll be a good move. I think that Mitchell in the long term could be the right coach for Hawthorne. Um, but obviously, we're not going to know yet for 18 months before he gets given the uh, the full reign. But who knows? It could be like Essendon, you know, where Warsfold kind of took a back seat and let, uh, you know, Rutten kind of take the reins, although I doubt Clarkson's the sort. He'll just be like, here you go, Mitchell. I'll just help you. I'll handhold you through it. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Clarkson's going to probably wield his power over the team until the final day, but who knows? You mentioned you mentioned the whole thing with Washer and Truck last year. As an Essendon supporter, that was painful to watch because it was clear that the team had no idea who was in charge, who was in control, who they should listen to. It was like every single Essendon game was a tale of two different game plans. And it was so frustrating. You know, I just remember thinking about it, just like, just, just you know, what, it should be one or the other. It shouldn't be both, especially when they have conflicting game styles. So for me, I think it's obvious it's going to take time before Hawthorne are successful again. Jeff Kennett has acknowledged as much. I think he said, you know, take five to 10 years before Hawthorne are in a position to win another flag. But Jeff Kennett is not known for being patient. He is not a patient man. And so my question is, if Hawthorne don't make finals football under Sam Mitchell for the first three to four seasons he's there, will he then be kicked out? That's my question. Because I can totally see this being like a Nathan Buckley situation where, you know, it took them a few years of, of finishing lower than what they had been the year before, before they challenged for a premiership. Uh, the, the history of, of these moves working out um, isn't great, isn't fantastic in terms of premiership success. But Sam Mitchell, quadruple premiership player, 
obviously a fantastic mind at West Coast helped them when he was an assistant coach, helped them to, to, to the 2018 flag. So I have almost no doubt in my mind that he will be a good coach, except for this. I can't think of off the top of my head with maybe the exception of Paul Roos, because I'm like 99% certain that Paul Roos played for Sydney a little bit. Yeah, he did. With the exception of Paul Roos and Sydney, I can't think of a player who was uh, who played for their club, was a really great player for their club, came in to coach them, and was a successful coach as in premiership success. I genuinely can't think. It's not Nathan Buckley at Collingwood. It's not James Hurd at Essendon. It's not uh, Justin Lepich or Michael Voss at Brisbane. I can't think of one. So it's almost like, I'm sorry, Liam, you are on mute. I was going to say Jock McHale, I think, at Collingwood. Did he not play for Collingwood, I'm pretty sure? And he also won numerous mm. premierships as a coach, if, if I'm not uh, incorrect. Obviously, he, this is like 100 years ago, so my memory doesn't take any stance. This is just my understanding of history at this point. I was but, about to say, you remember watching Jock, <laughs> Jock McHale play, do you? Uh, I, could, I, I could go and fact check this. I could go and do a quick research on it. He did uh, play for Collingwood. He's also a player coach situation. Back in the day, there was this weird player coach situation um, with the AFL uh, that's long since gone out of fashion. Uh, premiership player in 1910 for Collingwood. Premiership playing coach 1917. And Premiership coach 1919, 1927, 1928, 1929, 1935, 1936, so my question to Hawthorne is kind of related to this, related to what you said, Liam, that those, you know, 18 months now before Sam Mitchell takes over as coach, there are players that came to Hawthorne in the last few years. And I don't know whether or not it was solely because of Alistair Clarkson or even if Alistair Clarkson was a factor, but I'd be shocked if he wasn't. And now the fact that he's not going to be coach anymore, you've got to ask, you know, questions of players like Chad Wingard. You know, is he is he going to want to stay? Is he going to want to go? Because I think now he's going to be realizing I'm not going to win a premiership at Hawthorne at this rate. So is he going to try and go somewhere else? Um, what about the players that they still have from their triple premiership era? Luke Bruce, is he, you know, how long does he have left? Jack Gunston, how long does he have left? So for me... I think Hawthorne, they still have a few more years of pain left and it, it's up, I think it's their, their future, their long-term future success will depend on how patient, the infamously impatient uh, Jeff Kennett is going to be. On to a massive round 17. The fixture only came out, uh, I believe it was yesterday. A couple of very interesting fixture decisions, including the first Monday night clash of the season. But before we get there, let's start on Thursday night football at the Adelaide Oval. Top four clash 
it's second versus fourth and second in desperate need of uh, desperate need of a win to kind of correct their course, the Demons. Melbourne, I don't want to say this just yet about Melbourne, but there's almost a feel of 2019 Geelong about them. A fantastic start to the year, and then the second half of the year, Geelong went like win-loss, 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 win-loss. Melbourne should be hoping that that doesn't happen to them. But nevertheless, it's a super important clash. Port, they've struggled against top eight teams so far this year with the exception of two very narrow wins against one against Richmond, currently not a top eight team, but still, and the Sydney Swans. Patty, I'll let you start off with this one. Can the Ds correct the course or will Port take a massive scalp at home? Yeah, it's a close one, this one. We assume it will be. I'm going to stay with the Ds just on the basis that they've been able to do it against every other you know, quotation marks contender this season. No matter how poorly they've been going, they've been able to get up. Uh, that Western Bulldogs game at Marvel Stadium was a great indicator of just how Melbourne can respond, as well as the game against Brisbane at Giant Stadium, I believe. So, following that, I'm going to stick with the D's, which I think will end up, I think that's the upset tip, but I just think that they. They have better premiership credentials than Port this year anyway, so I'm going to stay with Melbourne. Liam? Yeah, I'm actually going to go the same. I think Port have just, you know, um, they've had their number recently. They've won all of the three last fixtures, but, I mean, Melbourne have only really come good uh, this year, so, you know, the recent history can kind of be thrown out the door, I think, when considering these two this year playing each other. Um, and Port just haven't looked very convincing despite winning four of their last five games, which form-wise you'd say, hey, four out of five would take that any day. But you've got to also consider how they're winning those games. And it's not like they're kind of breezing past teams or looking like a team that can smash teams like a Geelong can or a Sydney can, for instance. Um, so I am going to back Melbourne by 14 points uh, in Adelaide. I am going to complete the quad, the quadruple demon. Who else is here tipping Melbourne? The triple demon, excuse me. I'm also going with the Ds. I think by 16 points, it's going to be a great game of football. As you pointed out, Patty, Melbourne are phenomenal against the best teams in the competition, which Port Adelaide are amongst the best. Uh, and as I pointed out earlier, Port Adelaide, they aren't that impressive against teams inside the top eight. You know, and even, even their form against the best teams in Adelaide has been uh, pretty underwhelming. You know, what you had a two-point win against Richmond, any any game you win by under a goal, you're very lucky to win. They were lucky to win that one. Comfortable loss to the Bulldogs in Adelaide, comfortable loss to Geelong in Adelaide. What you beat the Swans by 10 points, it's a close game, you know, good win, good snap by Scott Lysette. But nevertheless, I still think Melbourne backs against the wall this is where they prove that they actually do belong inside the top four and possibly belong inside the top two as well. Melbourne to win. On to Friday night football. I was shocked that this game was chosen and not the Western Bulldogs v Sydney game, but nevertheless, I'm excited because I'm actually going to this match. Essendon versus Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. Tex Walker, I saw uh, on the AFL News, he could still be playing this weekend. 
So obviously the injury that he sustained wasn't as serious as they thought that it was going to be, which is great news for him. It was sickening watching that collision. I, I really, I, I was scared for him. Actually, I was really, really scared for him. But um, thankfully, it's not as serious as it could have been. Uh, Bombers needing to rebound, losing their last couple of games. Crows got shellacked by Brisbane in Adelaide. Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. Who's going to take off flying in this one? Will it be the Crows or the Bombers? Keep in mind, there's one correct answer to this one. Uh, I think the birds uh, aren't going to be taking off. I think they're going to get caught in the engines. Um, so I'm going to say Essendon to actually get a bit of a smashing on their home turf. Uh, well, you know, Marvel Stadium home turf. I'm not sure how much Essendon fans would want to hear it, but it's their home game, I suppose. And I think the Bombers look like a more exciting team, a team that when they play well, like we've already said, uh, can put teams to the sword. And Adelaide, they have had some good wins this year. Let's not forget that. Um, but I think they looked a lot better in the first half of the season as opposed to how they have in the last four or five weeks. Um, that being said, they could still, you know, pull a result out the bag. But I do think Essendon will be far too strong. I'm going to pick them to win by 38 points. Congrats, you passed the test, Patty. Uh, will you be able to pass the same test, Essendon or Adelaide? Yeah, Essendon by four goals. Pretty comfortably, I think. Yep, congrats. You also passed the test. I'm tipping the Bombers by five goals. Uh, if this game was in Adelaide, I think it would be close. But we've proven that we can beat teams below us and teams around us on the ladder uh, quite comfortably. And at Marvel Stadium, we are a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous side to play. Uh, Friday night football bright lights uh i expect us to bounce back and it could very easily be more than five goals but i do expect essendon to win and if we don't i will be very 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 sad on to saturday afternoon football at i believe the first game and i am just going to double check this but we'll go with this match regardless it's at the mc uh no it's not Ah, I'm glad I double-checked. It's actually Hawthorne versus Fremantle first down in Tasmania. This game is fascinating. Uh, who who went first last time? Liam. Right, Paddy. Fremantle, can they uh, rectify a horrible record in Tasmania? I think they've only ever won once in Tassie, and that was the infamous hashtag Siren Gate situation. Uh, they get smashed routinely by the Hawks down in Tasmania. What will happen this time around? Yeah, I really want to tip for it because I like watching them, but the, their record in Hawthorne worries me. Uh, I think Hawthorne are a better side when they're playing in Tasmania and against a team like Frio, who haven't had much experience there. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Hawthorne as the home team. I don't feel hugely comfortable about it, but I think home ground advantage is going to play massively into this one. On to uh, Liam. I was about to say on to the next game. <laughs> I was about to skip over you, Liam. Uh, skip over yourself as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just Liam, forget the game, why don't we? Clearly, clearly our opinion on this game doesn't matter. No. <laughs> uh, Fremantle. Now, Hawthorne, Liam, Hawthorne's recent record in Tasmania has not been great. This year, they are, I believe, one and two um, in Launceston. And that one win that they had, they only won because Adelaide 
choked that game away. Like they were down by five goals in that game. Uh, my question is, can they rectify their record at their home away from home this season? Or posing the same question as Patty, will Fremantle rectify their overall record in the, uh, in the Apple Isle? I do think, uh, you know, like Paddy said, he he was unconvinced that with by Hawthorne, but did pick them. I'm kind of in a similar position um, because I am going to pick Hawthorne by 20 points. Um, But Hawthorne have been very hot and cold the last three or four weeks. They look like they were coming good and they lose and then they come good and then they lose. Um, So they are hard to call. Um, But at the same time, Fremantle haven't exactly been overly convincing, um, only winning two of their last five putting their finals hopes in pretty major jeopardy. Uh, speaking of which, we haven't even really mentioned them in the finals debate, <laughs> um, which I think kind of speaks to where we all stand on them, I guess. Um, but yeah, I am going to back the home team. I think they'll have just enough to get over the line. They couldn't hit a barn door with a banana, to quote uh, Johnny English. Fremantle, 8-16 against Carlton. Like, don't get me wrong, it was a good win by the Blues. But on the other hand, they were lucky to win that one. 8-16. I could have done a better job than that. And I haven't played footy in yonks. Yonks. Oh, goodness gracious me. Uh, Hawthorne's going to win. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game by about a couple goals or so. But if this game was anywhere else, I would be very tempted to tip Fremantle. If the game was in Perth, I would say Fremantle by 50, 60 points. Because I think the gap between the Dockers and the Hawks at their respective bests is still that much. Um, still a 10-goal difference between them. But Tasmania makes all the difference in this one. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Hawthorne dropped this game. But at the same time, I would be. Because Fremantle are almost allergic to playing in Tasmania. I don't know. It must be something in the water down there in Launceston. Uh, on to the MCG. Saturday, mid-afternoon football, 4.35 time slot. This game should be a beaut. Carlton versus Geelong. Liam, uh, can the Blues finally claim a top eight scalp or will Geelong continue to put pressure on Port for that fourth position? Um, Like you said, I think it could be a good game, but I think that comes down to how well Carlton play because Carlton at their best are a very good side. They've got very good players, like we said, a lot of... uh, you know, all Australian contenders moving forward. Um, but at the same time, have they got the consistency, especially against a side who can score as powerfully as Geelong? I don't know. Um, you, you'd have to be a very bold person to back Carlton into this one, I think. Um, so I do think Geelong will be too strong. I just think that they've got far too much kind of ability to just blow teams out. And I think that's why I'm going to back Geelong because they could... It could be a good game for three quarters, but then Geelong will just say, ah, we'll put the foot down and then squash Carlton. Um, so I'm going to say Geelong by 25 points with a late blowout in the last quarter. Typical Carlton performance then. Paddy? Yeah, I'm going to take the cats as well. I just don't think Carlton have the consistency around their big three to really take it to a team like Geelong who... We'll miss Jeremy Cameron, I think, but I don't think it'll matter enough. I'm going to take the Cats by 32 points. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be closer than what both of you guys are saying. I'm tipping the Cats by three goals. Uh, 
truthfully, I, I could easily see Geelong winning this very comfortably. But Carlton rarely, rarely lose comfortably. Uh, well, they lose comfortably, but they don't lose by a lot, a lot. I think their biggest loss this year was 32 points, which is still you know, pretty comfortable. But normally it's around the three or four goal mark, um, especially against teams inside the top eight, which is where I think it's going to be on Saturday afternoon. Now on to Saturday night football, Brisbane versus St. Kilda at nobody knows. Will it be in Brisbane? Could be on the Gold Coast. Will it be in Victoria? At this stage, it could very well be played in Auckland. We have absolutely no idea where this game is going to be played. Patty, can Brisbane continue their awesome form or will the Saints claim their second big scalp in three weeks? Brisbane, yeah. The Lions are, are looking really good. I still don't trust the Saints, as I'm sure I think that's a gen- general consensus of this podcast as well. Can't trust the Saints against Brisbane. If it's in Queensland, I think it's almost a done deal, but I'll take Brisbane by four goals. I kind of think the four goals is a little bit generous, but Liam, I'll let you start off with, uh, I'll let you go first, I should say, before me. Will Brisbane continue rolling, 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 rolling? Sorry, I just had to do that. Um, yeah, I don't think where this game is played will be overly important with an asterisk because I think if it is in Melbourne, I think the Saints will be a better chance. Um, but that being said, I just think Brisbane will be too strong, so I'm going to back them by 32 points. If this game is going to be played in Brisbane, it will be an annihilation. I mean, like 70-plus points. If this game is played on the Gold Coast, I'll be a little bit more lenient. I'll say 50 points. If this game is played in uh, Victoria, it could be close, but I don't think it could be played in Timbuktu, and I'm still be tipping the Lions to win. Brisbane, so with that massive margin, you might say, so how much are you going to be tipping the Lions by? About seven goals. Should be a comfortable win for Brisbane, and I think that win will damp out St. Kilda's final chances once and for all. Now, on to Sunday afternoon football in Ballarat. Blistery, cold Ballarat, the Giants and the Suns. Liam, who's going to win the battle of the frigid? Um, I mean... The Suns are coming off the back of a great win um, against the reigning premiers. Um, and, you know, they're up, I think they do stand a chance because the Giants are a bit on and off. But I think the Giants just have a lot more to play for. Um, and I think they'll be too strong, um, <laughs> even if it is wild conditions in Ballarat. So I'll back the Giants to get over the line by 22 points. Patty, battle of the expansion clubs. Who comes out on top? This one's difficult purely because it's being played in Ballarat. Um, you know, early afternoon, July, it's going to be freezing. Um, I'm going to take the Giants on form. Uh, Gold Coast defeating Richmond. It does have me a little bit unsure over this one. I think it's a lot closer 
than most pundits will probably have it. So I'll take the Giants by two goals, I think. You must be a mind reader, Patty. I'm also tipping the Giants by two goals just because of ladder positions. Uh, but honestly, the, the fact that this is played at a neutral venue and a ground where the Giants have never played at before, I think makes that ground is, you know, the great equalizer of this game. Uh, but it should be an awesome game of footy, if not low scoring, if not absolutely brutally cold. I am so glad I'm not going to this game. On to the Western Bulldogs versus the Sydney Swans, what should have been the Friday night game. Patty, I'll let you start off with this one. Can the Dogs get it done again against the Sydney Swans at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne in general? Or will Sydney claim their second straight victory against a top eight team? Yeah, this one's going to be a cracker. I'm, I'm pretty keen to see how this one resolves itself. Uh, the Dogs obviously looking like the premiership favourites at the moment and the Swans. I thought they were falling off a little bit as the year went on, but they've just obliterated the Eagles. I'm going to take the Dogs on their home deck, but I think this will be a close one. I'm going to tip them by 10 points. Liam? Yeah, very similar. I'm backing the Dogs by eight points. Uh, very hopeful that they can maintain top spot and uh, pick up the four points. So it can, it, I think it'll be close, but I can't go against uh, the Dogs here. So are you doing that more because your heart wants to tip the Dogs or because your brain thinks that the Dogs are going to win? Both, of course. Of course. Um, obviously, I want the Swans to win, but I am tipping the Dogs by three points. I think it's going to be an awesome game of football. I can see this being a super high-scoring game of footy too because both of these teams can score prolifically. I could see this being like 120 to 122. It, like It's going to be an awesome game of footy and I cannot wait to watch it. It should be a much better contest than the next one and we have reached the battle of the co-hosts at DMCG. The Tigers in a hole against Collingwood, who are also in a hole. <laughs> Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. By text, you, you, you suggested last night that you weren't going to tip Collingwood in this one. Uh, but I'm going to ask you, can Collingwood repeat the, no offense, Patty, magic in air quotes of the 2018 prelim final? Or will the Tigers get back on track? I mean, that prelim final is probably one of the most enjoyable games of football I've ever watched um, just because of the expectation around Richmond at the time. Um, but <laughs> I think I've, the Collingwood fans, when they play Richmond, are probably been riding that boat a bit long now in terms of if you want to use that as a, oh, we stand a chance against them. Um, I just think Richmond have a lot more to prove and have a lot more to play for. So I think it'll be a messy game. I think Richmond will get it done the hard way. Um, but I think they'll have a bit of a late flurry and get over the line by five goals. Patty, are you so confident in your Tigers to say the same? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> after the last two weeks, it, it's been pretty grim. I do tend to agree with you though, Liam. I do think there's a fair point to prove at Tigerland. Uh, Jack Rewalt coming out in 360, all guns blazing. I always thought it was a bit surprising, but clearly the Tigers are stung. So 
I'll stick with them and tip them by 20-odd points. But this is not a game that I'm looking forward to, gentlemen, not in the slightest. <laughs> I think for me, this game entirely depends on, normally when it's when it's a game like this between, you know, featuring one finals contender that's struggling and one bottom four team, you normally say, well, it depends on which, you know, which finals eight contender, you know, appears, whether or not it's the, the Tiger team that, that, you know, had that awesome comeback against Essendon in Perth, or is it the Tiger team that scored two goals against St Kilda and then followed it up with the loss to the Gold Coast in Melbourne? But for me, it also depends on Collingwood. Which Collingwood is going to show up? Is it going to be the Collingwood of the first three quarters against St Kilda, or is it going to be the Collingwood of the last quarter? Matthew Lloyd said it perfectly on uh, Access All Areas with Damian Barrett you know, when he said, why play like that in the last quarter only? They've they proved in that last quarter that they can score, Collingwood. But the fact that they waited until three-quarter time, it must be so frustrating as a Collingwood supporter. Just constantly back and forth and back and forth, one goal to half time, three goals to three-quarter time. Like, I, I don't want to say I feel sorry for you guys, because I don't, but I almost feel sorry for you guys. As for this game, I could see Richmond being really ruthless with this, but with their injuries and their own problems with scoring, I think it's going to be a close game, but I am tipping the Tigers to win by 14 points. On to Monday night football. Can't remember the last time there was a Monday night football. Maybe in recent years when it was like an Anzac Day Eve game between the Tigers and the Demons, but I genuinely can't remember a Monday night footy game. Anyways, this should be fascinating. In Perth, speaking of a team that's struggling, the West Coast Eagles up against a much improved North Melbourne outfit. I mean, between rounds three and round 16, their two games against the Dogs, they improved by like 98 points. So this is a danger game for the Eagles. They cannot head into this game thinking, easy, going to be an easy win, going to be a roadkill win. It could still be, but they can't do that. Surely not. And if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to start off with this one. Because the Eagles cannot afford to drop this game and because they still have all the experience that they have and because they would have gotten a rocket up the backside from Adam Simpson as well as the media, I think the Eagles are going to win. But it's going to be close. It's going to be a really good game and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, grey hairs and white hairs in the, uh, in the crowd that weren't there a few hours earlier and lots of uh, missing nails after being chewed through in the West Coast crowd. I'm tipping the Eagles by 19 points. God, I don't know who to go with first. I don't know. Whoever wants to go first can go first. Fine, I'll say. Patty, you go. <laughs> there we go. I think both got stuck there. Um, yeah, I'm still tipping the Eagles. Can't see a way that North Melbourne will, would win a game in WA. And I think they'll be pretty angry after the last performance they put out. So West Coast by five goals. Liam. Yeah, I think, you know, we've already kind of covered, you know, Eagles have a point to prove and it's at home. So they're usually a good side on their own turf. Can't be said for when they're on the road generally. Um but because they're good at home um, and they're up against a, you know, okay, improved North Melbourne, but still bottom of the, you know, league North Melbourne, I'm going to back a, a fairly comfortable win, 39 points for the Eagles. 
Absolutely. And if they don't win, I just got a, a weather warning for uh, Central Victoria. Frost is expected, and that is going to be exactly what hits the Eagles if they lose to North Melbourne. Can only imagine the frosty reception they're going to get if they drop the game to the Kangaroos. Last question, guys. Which game are you most looking forward to this weekend and why? And which game do you think is going to be the most comfortable victory, biggest victory, smashing, et cetera, et cetera? Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. Which game are you most looking forward to and why? Has to be the Dogs and the Swans. All three of us picked it to be less than two goals. So I think it's a pretty straightforward decision for me, at least, that that would be the game that most people are looking forward to. Uh, as for the biggest blowout, Obviously, based on my predictions, I picked the Eagles and North, but like we've already said, there is also the potential for the likes of maybe um, Carlton and Geelong or even more likely than that, Brisbane and uh, St Kilda. But based on my predictions, I was going to say, yeah, uh, West Coast and North Melbourne. Interesting. Patty? Yeah, I'm going to double down with the Sydney Western Bulldogs game. I think this is going to be the big one. Uh, and for smashing, I'm going to go Carlton Geelong. I just have a feeling Carlton tend to play disappointingly after they play well. And I think we'll see a continuation of the trend. So that'll be my blowout. Which game do I think is going to be the most entertaining game to watch? Western Bulldogs, Sydney. But the game I'm most looking forward to is actually probably Richmond Collingwood. Because the storylines to come out of it, either way, like whoever loses, either way, the storylines are going to be deliciously juicy. And if it's a draw, well, then that's going to throw a spanner in the works for the finals race for sure. In terms of the biggest blowout, yeah, probably Brisbane St. Kilda. Um, I don't want to sound too cocky because, you know, Essendon, we do have a history of losing games like this on Friday night, but it could also be Essendon Adelaide. But I'm playing it safe and saying it's Brisbane St. Kilda. Thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, Liam and Patty, for joining me for this episode of Through the Banner Podcast. Best wishes for Sunday afternoon. You better believe I'm going to be texting both of you during the game. Thanks, mate. We need all the help we can get, I think. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner Podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. Join me and a co-host next week to review round 17 and preview round 18 as the AFL home and away season for 2021 comes closer and closer to the end. As for now, au revoir, hasta la vista. However you want to say goodbye, farewell to the end.